We are on the sermon series of the book of Mark, and we are on the seventh chapter. Now today, we will look at two stories which feature two extraordinary miracles that Jesus did in two different places, in Tyre and also in Decapolis. Now both of these places are in the region of Gentiles. These two miracles that Jesus performed, he did something totally unexpected, and it may be outright offensive for some. So, spoiler ahead, be warned that you're going to hear something very different today. In the first seven chapter of the book of Mark, Jesus went around the region and the places which is predominantly Jew, Jewish places. And the many teaching, healing, miracles that Jesus did, he is now gaining popularity. He is now like a celebrity. He has fame. Wherever he goes, people flock to him, crowd jostling around him. So after spending some time in Jerusalem and in Galilee, Jesus now moved on to the vicinity of Tyre, and which is now the modern day of uh, Lebanon, this, the, the country of Lebanon. So let's read what is happening here. Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 26. It says here, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and he did not want anyone to know it. Yet, he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as he heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman as a Greek, was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, as we read about this passage of Scripture, the Bible did not tell us why Jesus decides to venture into this area and why he wishes to remain incognito. But many still recognized Jesus and started coming to him. One of them is this Greek woman. She's a Gentile. Gentile means that she is a non-Jew. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. You and I, we are Gentile because we are not Jew. Whether you are Malay, Indian, Chinese, or whatever race you are, as long as you are not Jew, you are a Gentile. The same concept like our country, as long as you are non, uh, not a Muslim, you are a non-Muslim. So, whoever who is not a Jew is called a Gentile. And to the Jew, Gentiles are impure people and it is regarded as unworthy and unclean. The Jew do not associate or do not eat with Gentiles because it will be seen as defiling themselves. So, when this Gentile woman came to Jesus, requesting healing from Jesus, getting near to Jesus, coming in contact with Jesus, it creates a dramatic tension. Let's read how Jesus responds to this situation. Mark chapter 7, verses 26 to 30. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, Jesus told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's 
crumbs. Then Jesus told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Now, as you read this passage, there are three surprises that you can find. First, we read that Jesus is not the usual compassionate, friendly Messiah that he seems to be. He did something totally unexpected. He refused the plea of a woman. Not only she refused the appeal for help, he seems to reply with a sharp insult by referring her to a dog. As we read that in Mark chapter 7, verse 27, Jesus says, First, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, I believe that many of you would want to understand why would Jesus refer this woman as dog? Before I go to uh, focus on this word dog, I want to take your attention to the word first. Jesus says, first, let the, we uh, let the children eat all they want. First, let the children eat all they want. Now, take note that Jesus is not totally rejecting the appeal of the lady to cast out the demon. But the word first, when Jesus says first, it implies that Jesus knows his priority. That he came to reveal himself as a Messiah to the chosen nation of Israel and that he knew his mission on earth. And this is the same priority that we see Apostle Paul uh, continuing and practicing whenever he goes to different city in his missionary trip that he always seek out the Jew. First the Jew, then the Gentile. First the Jew, then the Gentile. All the cities that Apostle Paul goes to, he will still practice the same. First the Jew, then the Gentile. So, Jesus knew his mission, his purpose. It is to reveal the plan of God, the purpose of God. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So, Jesus is not being uncompassionate and he's not refusing the woman totally and second surprise that we can see is this the woman's unwillingness to be put off by Jesus' response is a surprise because when she was refused by Jesus she didn't give up or she didn't get all upset instead she accepted Jesus' promise that the children are to be fed first and then the dog gets the remaining blessing. So, this Greek woman reacted with a quick wit and a clever persistence. And this is what she says. Mark chapter 7, verse 28. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, take note that this gentle woman has persistence in humility. Not just persistent, but persistent in humility. Acknowledging that she is unworthy, she is undeserving. And third, it is surprising that this Gentile woman is able to understand Jesus' saying without any further explanation. This woman catches the meaning of Jesus' saying immediately. She recognizes that without further explanation that the word children is referred to the Jew 
And the word dog is often used by the Jew to refer to the Gentile. She understands and she accepts Jesus saying that Israel, the people of Israel, has precedence over Gentiles. But the time will come for the Gentile to receive God's blessing. But now, at that time, the time has not yet come. So here, Jesus is asserting that the blessing of the kingdom of God must be first given to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And that is why Jesus came. And the time will come when the blessing of the kingdom will reach far and wide beyond the Israelites to the end of the world. And also, Jesus used the word bread. Jesus used the word children. Jesus used the word dog. But Jesus used the word bread. By using the word bread to refer to his work of healing, Jesus is also indicating something much more deeper in his reply. Jesus uh, is actually referring to himself as the shepherd messiah, the one who provides the bread of life. Because if you continue to read the entire book of Mark, the word bread is always used because Jesus is the bread of life. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says, I am the bread. Man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus purposefully and continually used the word bread in everything that he do. In this context, when Jesus used the word bread, it refers to his power of healing. Healing from demonic oppression, overcoming all the forces of evil. So the Gentile woman understand without any further explanation what Jesus meant. In contrast, the 12 disciples, as we have read in the past sixth chapter, that they do not understand what Jesus said. The parable of the soil, they do not understand. What Jesus did when Jesus fed the 5,000, they do not understand. Jesus need to explain further in private. But this Gentile woman, she caught it. She understood, even without explanation. So these are the three surprising things about this Gentile woman. Now, let's come to this issue of dog. The Gentile woman came to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal her beloved daughter from the torment of demon possession. Now, as you read the book of Mark, you always come across that there are many demons, demon here, demon there. People coming to Jesus, asking Jesus to cast out demons. And yes, during those times, demons are everywhere. Just because we are living in a modern era, in city, we do not see all these things. It doesn't mean that today there are no such demon possession cases. They are. It's just that we are not in contact with it. So it's very common in Jesus' time. And then, as the woman come to Jesus asking for help, it was met with a refusal by Jesus saying that you are not a children, you are a dog. Now, how do you feel when you read this? What was in your mind? What was in your heart? I'm sure that you have questioned when you ask this, uh, when you read this passage. Let's take some time to unfold some of the background so that we can better understand what is going on. When Jesus referred the word dog here, 
he was alluding to a household pet, not the not a, a, a household pet which do not have the privilege like a children. He is not referring to the street dogs. Now, in the context, the bread was meant for the children first and not a priority to be given to the household dog. Priority is to feed the children, then the household pet. Now, I'm sure that some of you, you may have pets at home. And when you prepare a meal, do you feed your pet first or do you feed your children first? Any one of you, you feed your pet with the main meal first and thereafter feed your children. If you do that, raise your hand. Anyone? Now, I'm sure that you understand the issue here is not refusal, but a matter of priority. Jesus' priority is to reveal himself, his identity, his power, his purpose, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is the plan of God. And in that sense, Jesus is not demeaning the Gentile woman with this blunt and offensive reply. Jesus was presenting the truth based on the cultural understanding that Jews and Gentiles had at that time. So, the Gentile woman is not asking to receive the bread on the table, which is meant for the children of Israel. She's not asking for the main course, but just the little crumb from Jesus' power. And she unwittingly points out that even dogs have their scraps from the family meal. And that the household dog would not be left out. She knew that she cannot insist on God's mercy. Nor can she take offence when Jesus tells her so. All this does not insult her, does not embitter her. She gladly accepts the rank of a household dog if it means to get the healing power from Jesus. She accepts that the Jewish priority that Jesus has, which is Jew first, Gentile later, that the bread belong first to the children of Israel. And she is willing to humble herself in order to receive the blessing and the healing from Jesus, even though her time has not yet come. She does not selfishly worry or take offence that Jesus did not give her the priority. Instead, she refuses to accept the dismissal from Jesus and she will not take no for an answer. Her longing to see her daughter being healed by demon possession outweigh any obstacle, outweigh anything that's standing in her way. So, now that I hope that you understand some of the background and the context that Jesus is calling the Gentile woman a dog, it still remains this question, I believe, that when you read this story, it may upset you because you have this sense of justice and dignity. Because we cannot understand why Jesus does not uh, reply or re respond to this woman in a more positive way. Now, we understand that Jesus came for the Jew first and then the Gentile later. Yes, we have no problem with that. We understand that Jesus will uh, uh, bless the, Gentile, uh, the, the Jew first and then the Gentile later. Yes, we don't have that problem. But one problem we still have stuck in our mind is this. 
why Jesus could not answer this lady in a more positive way. I'm sure that there's a better way to bring out this point, this message, rather than calling her a dog. Now, we do not mind that Jesus is being rude to the Pharisee because they seem to be cynical, they are hypocritical, they are pretentious. And, they be, and, and some of us, we think that they deserve it, all this Pharisee. They deserve this kind of rebuke from Jesus. But now, how would Jesus seemingly being so rude to this innocent Gentile woman who acted out of a motherly love, pleaded healing from Jesus for her demon-possessed daughter? Couldn't Jesus at least use a better way than compare her to a dog? I have this question also. I also have this question. Why couldn't Jesus use a better way? Now, the author, Mark, of this book did not tell us the answer why. The author did not tell us any answer at all. And also, the author didn't tell us the tone of the voice. Was Jesus being sarcastic? Was Jesus being humorous? Or was Jesus really being demeaning? There's no any additional background to which we can understand it further. But throughout the entire book of Mark, we read that Jesus often does something shocking, something out of the ordinary. And in this instant, it may be outright offensive for us today. There are times when Jesus is deliberately scandalous, throwing stumbling block in people's way. Jesus deliberately called the Pharisee hypocrites and the Sadducees whitewashed tombs. And in this instant, Jesus used the term children and dog. Children referring to the Jew, dog referring to the Gentile. But when the Jew read this story, as a Jew, they would instantly recognize and understand that the message Jesus is trying to convey. Jesus is pointing out that the Jew pride themselves as worthy deserving because they are a chosen people of God. And they pride themselves as righteous, ceremonially clean because they kept the law of Moses so faithfully, even to the dot, even in, the, in, in coming up with additional 600 over supplemental law. They have this self-righteous attitude that led to pride and prejudice. The Jew regarded all other people as unworthy, just as a dog in their social standing. And here, Jesus deliberately went to a Gentile region. After going through the Jewish territory, here in chapter 7, we read that Jesus deliberately went to a Gentile region. Now, think about this. Jesus came for the Jew first. He knew his mission. But why on earth would Jesus detour and go to a Gentile region when he knew that his priority is for the Jew? Is it by accident? No. It is a deliberate act that Jesus purposefully went to a Gentile region, interact with this Gentile woman to heal the daughter from a distance. This is a message for both Jew 
and a Gentile. And also for us today, that God accepts both Jew and Gentile. Even though the Gentiles are not chosen nation, even though you and I, we are not a chosen nation of God, even though we do not observe the law of Moses, even though we have rebelled against God, but God still accepts the Gentile. God still accepts you and I today. And the plan of salvation is available for us also. During that time of Jesus, during this time in Mark chapter 7, Jesus says that time will come. Time will come for the Gentile to receive blessing. And indeed, it happened when Jesus commissioned his disciple before he go back to heaven. He says, make disciple of all nations. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now to the Jews, no problem. Because Jesus says, you, my disciple who are Jew, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. No problem. In all Judea. Okay, Judea also involves some of the Gentile territory. No problem. But Jesus says, and in Samaria. Now, Samaria is a place that the Jew does not like. They do not like the people in Samaria because people in Samaria are a half-breed Jew. They are not pure Jew. So, when Jesus instructed this, you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, no problem. In Judea, okay. In Samaria, what are you talking about, Jesus? So that is why Jesus did this as an indication and also a preparation for the reader, the Jew, and even the disciple, that the salvation will come. Not just to the Jew. First to the Jew, but not just to the Jew. But it will be for all people. And also to the ends of the earth. So I hope that you understand that context when Jesus said this to the Jew. You'll be my witness to Jerusalem, all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. To put this in our context bluntly, and no offense to any race, let's consider this. It is as if that a Malay leader would tell the Malay and say that you are going to help all the Malay in Kampung Baru, and then you go to a Chinese territory and build all the Chinese school for them. And then, you're going to help all other people who are not Malay. Think about our situation here in Malaysia. How would a Malay feel if a Malay leader were to do that and say that publicly? This will be something that we can ponder about. This is something that Jesus did. So scandalous. It is just like a stumbling block to people. And that's why the Bible says, even during the birth of Jesus, Luke chapter 2, when Mary brought Jesus to temple, the prophet Simeon says that this child is, is going to cause stumbling for many people. Because he is coming to teach what is right and to reveal the hardness of heart, the pride and prejudices of people. 
And this is one of them. So what can we learn from this passage? How could this scandalous story possibly relate to us today? Here is an important truth. The willingness to humble ourselves is the key requirement for discipleship. It is to have an attitude and a mindset that I am unworthy, I am undeserving, I am unmerited to receive God's grace. There is something to many of us today, especially in our modern individualistic human rights society, have difficulty with. Because we are living in a society that highlights individual privileges, that highlights personal rights, that highlights personal sense of entitlement. Today, we struggle when the Bible says, come to God just like little children. We would think that it is so foolish, so ridiculous, so childish. We do not like any teaching that teaches us to be humble and to the point that we lay down our own right. We always talk about, it's my right, it's my right. I am deserving of this because it's my right. But here we read that this gentle woman has no qualm to accept what Jesus says. She came to Jesus having this attitude of unworthy, undeserving, unmerited. So that doesn't stop her from coming to Jesus with persistence, humility, and faith. Asking Jesus for the bread of life. Today, you and I, we need to come to Jesus acknowledging that we too are undeserving, unworthy, unmerited of God's grace. We live in a modern world that prides ourselves in being well-educated, technologically at once, that we are so good in terms of our social standing, that we have at once in our mindset, in our philosophy, in our education. But yet, we are so easily offended when we are told that we are wrong. When we are told that we, are, we need to change. Now this reminded me of a story. That this one Sunday, that the pastor preached about sinners and says that everyone in this hall, in this church, is there, you are sinners. And there's one elderly man who has been a Christian for so many years, being a leader of a church, came up to the pastor after preaching and asked the pastor, and said, Pastor, how do you dare to call me a sinner? I've been a leader. I've been observing the law of God. I've been such a good Christian all these years. I'm well-educated. I have my PhD. And then the pastor says, in that case, that makes you a well-educated PhD sinner. We are all sinners, saved by grace. Today, you may have been a Christian for many years. By many years, it may be 20, 30, even 40 years for some of you. But I want to ask you this question. Are you approaching God? Are you still approaching God with that kind of humility? With the attitude that we are unworthy and undeserving? Or are you coming to God with the attitude that you have loaded Bible knowledge? been there, done that, you feel that you're entitled because you are a good Christian? Ask yourself, 
Am I actually not that bad? Am I actually deserving? Do I really deserve God's grace and mercy? If that is so, let us approach this story again. Remind ourselves, check our heart and our attitude when we come to Jesus. At the same time, ask yourself this question. Why would this story be offensive to me? As you answer this question, it will reveal much about yourself if you answer it honestly. Now, some of you, you may be thinking, if this is how Jesus would respond to me, forget it. Lah. I would never come to Jesus. Lah. Why would I come to Jesus? Instead of Jesus helping me, that Jesus is going to call me a hypocrite, that Jesus is going to call me a sinner, that Jesus called me a evil generation, group of wipers, wise watch tomb, and even a dog. Why would I need to go through all this to ask for blessing from Jesus? You see, our pride kicks in immediately and it keeps us from asking Jesus again. We turn to our own idol. We turn to our own philosophy. We turn to our own pride instead of turning to God. We turn to our culture that seemingly does not offend. Whatever works for you, works for you. We convince ourselves that we are so special, so worthy, that when God did something so different, so scandalous, that we start to take offence at God. And that's why in the beginning of this message, I've told you that this passage is going to tell you something very different. And in our culture, when there's something wrong, it will always be other people. It will always be other people. Look at the movie today. When there is a problem, in the plot of the story, it will always be a problem of other people evil. There will be a hero, there will be a villain. There will be a good guy, there will be a bad guy. The problem is the bad guy. Fight the bad guy, solve the problem, live happily ever after. This is the theme of movies. Very seldom you see movies that tell you that the problem is our own attitude. Look for a movie that will tell you that the problem is not the bad guy, it's not the villain. Look for a movie that says the problem is our own attitude, our own prejudice. Hardly you can find it. But recently I watched this cartoon, the latest animation from Disney, Raya, The Last Dragon. I'm glad that they took on this theme. That in this cartoon, spoiler for those who are not watching it, spoiler for you, okay? There's no villain. There's no bad guy. Usually in Disney cartoon, there will be a bad guy. But there's no bad guy. They took on the storyline whereby the problem in this animation is attitude, self. And that is exactly what we need today. If there's any problem, the society always says it's other people. Not me. Always others. So today, let us learn from this Gentile woman. She came to Jesus not with a problem of her own fault. She came empty-handed. She came 
asking for Jesus. She did not even make a claim and say, Jesus, you must heal me. No. But even though she faces refusal, she continued on. She do not have the entitlement attitude. She didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are God. You must be good. You must heal me. And the gentle woman did not argue with Jesus, did not demand any such special right. She didn't even walk away after being called a dog and says, forget about this. Forget about this, Jesus. Church, we need to take on this attitude that we are able to come to Jesus with humility, humbleness, acknowledging that we are unworthy, undeserving of God's mercy. But at the same time, I want to balance this up. I'm not here to say that we are all so unworthy, so unmerited, so undeserving that we really are nothing. See, this woman, she did not simply give up and cut off herself from Jesus' blessing. She did not have the self-pity kind of attitude. Even though she did not have a self-righteous entitlement, you owe me kind of attitude, she also did not have self-pity. It's very important. Do not go either extreme. Do not think that you are so deserving, but at the same time, do not think that you are so, so undeserving. And if you are thinking that you are so, so undeserving, you will go into a depression. Either end of the spectrum, you will not come to Jesus. So through this story, let's be reminded that we are unworthy, undeserving, unmerited of God's grace and mercy. That we do not come to God with an attitude of entitlement simply because we are Christian for many years, simply because we have done so many things for Jesus, simply because we have given so much, simply because we have so much Bible knowledge. We read that even though the Gentile woman confronted with such a blunt reply from Jesus, she continued on. But also be reminded, this only happened once. And Jesus wanted to make a point here. Jesus did not continually tell people that they are dogs. It only happened once because Jesus wanted to highlight something special, a message. But throughout the entire Bible, God told us that we are His image. We are his sons and daughter when we put our faith in Jesus. That we are special. So do not let this passage put you off. Because this one-off passage that Jesus is highlighting a special point. But for the rest of the Bible, it tells us that we are special and we are precious in God's eye. Let's balance that up so that we will not turn away from God. But at the same time, we do not pride ourselves. Now, this is the first point. I took a long time because I really want to explain this well and I hope I did well so that you will understand why Jesus will refer this Gentile woman as a dog. And you will always get this question, whether from a Christian or non-Christian, telling you and saying, see, you're Jesus. So scandalous. Referring this gentle woman 
a motherly love Gentile woman, refer her as a dog. How would you explain? It took me nearly 45 minutes. When people ask you how to respond, I hope that you take 4.5 minutes. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I hope that you're able to do it. Now, let's come to a second point. The second story in this chapter is a story of Jesus healing a deaf and a mute man. In the same place, in the region of Gentile, Mark chapter 7, verse 31 to 32. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went to Sidon, down the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There, some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly walk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Now, here we read that Jesus went back to the vicinity of Decapolis, another region of the Gentile. The word Decapolis, this city, it may sound familiar because Jesus went to this place in Mark chapter 5. We read that when Jesus went to Decapolis, he casted out a legion of demons into the herd of pigs, totaling 2,000. And the herd of pigs rushed down the steep bank into the river and were drowned. So the people in Decapolis begged Jesus and said, Jesus, please go away. You have caused us so much. But by now, in chapter 7, Jesus has become famous and many would come to him. One reason the, the man who has, one reason that Jesus would be such a popular, maybe because the man who was healed from the legion of demons went around the city of Decapolis preaching, giving testimony about how good Jesus is. So, when Jesus arrived to Decapolis again, he was met with a group of people who brought to him a severely handicapped man. Although Jesus was the talk of the town, and many would flock to Jesus when he is in the town of Decapolis, this handicapped man could not come to Jesus because he is deaf, mute. He could not hear about Jesus. He could not even talk to Jesus. Even if somehow he managed to hear and talk, about Je to, talk to Jesus, it will be a huge challenge because the Bible says he's partially lame. He could hardly walk. He supposed, and suppose if he met with Jesus, how would he communicate with Jesus? Not only this man is unable physically, he's also unable socially and religiously because he is deaf, mute, partially lame. So he's unable to make a living for himself. He could have difficulty taking care of himself. He also could not observe any religious ceremony because he is handicapped. He will be exempted from many religious obligations. Can you see how handicapped, how unable this man was? In other words, he is unable to reach out to Jesus. And so, this man needed his friend to bring him to Jesus. I'm not sure how his friend going to tell him and says, follow us, let's go and see Jesus. This man may not even know what is happening because he's deaf, he's mute, there's no way of communication, he can hardly walk. But the friends brought him to Jesus and this is what happened. Mark chapter 7, verse 33 to 35. 
after he took him aside, after Jesus took this handicapped man aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his finger into the man's ear. Now, this is something, again, extraordinary. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus put his finger into the man's ear? And then, he spit, put, spit, and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephrata, which means be open. At this, the man's ear were open and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly, meaning that he's able to speak. Now, imagine this. From chapter 1 to chapter 6, every time when Jesus healed, we read that Jesus lay hand. Jesus lay hand. Jesus lay hand. And Jesus could even heal from a distance. But here, Jesus put his finger into the man's ear. And just spit and touched the man's tongue. During the pandemic situation, would you allow Jesus to do that? Let's say there's no more pandemic. We are going back to our usual days. Would you even let Jesus touch your ear and spit and touch your tongue? How scandalous, how unusual. And why would Jesus do such a thing? After calling the gentle woman a dog, now Jesus spit and touched the tongue of a person. Truly, this passage is very extraordinary. We read that Jesus did things which were so different. Now, when Jesus proclaimed, Ephrata, be open, do you think that Jesus is speaking to the uh, uh, to the deaf man? No. He could not hear. Shout as you want. He would not be able to hear. Jesus, when he says, be open, he is not speaking to the man. He was speaking to the ear and the tongue, which is not active. When Jesus proclaimed, be open, the miracle happened. The man's ear were open, his tongue were loosened, and he began to speak. Now, this phrase actually is a reference back to Isaiah. Because Mark, the author of the book of Mark, he is a Jew. Growing up as a Jew, the Jew, when they go to school, so-called school education, their education was to memorize and read the Torah, the first five books of Moses, and also to get familiar with the book of Psalms, the book of Lamentation, the book of Isaiah. And that's why when you read the Bible, Jesus often go to the synagogue reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And it will be a very familiar passage for them. They hear all about the Torah, the scroll of Isaiah, every week, even every day when they grow up. So the Jew will be very familiar with the Psalms and the scroll of Isaiah. And here, the book of Mark alludes to Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 6. He says here, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance. With divine reprobation, He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now, 
Doesn't this sound familiar? Mark was making a reference to Isaiah. And at this time, during the time of Isaiah, when this passage is written by Isaiah, it's a time when the nation of Israel come back from captivity, come back from the bondage of slavery, coming back from the exile to the land of Jerusalem, which is destroyed. They're coming back to a hometown which is destroyed. And in their journey, God spoke to Isaiah to encourage the people of Israel who were coming back to an empty land which is destroyed, Jerusalem, to encourage them and say, if you're weak, fearful, be encouraged. God will save you. God will send you a Messiah. God will send you a Savior. And this is one of the predictions in the Old Testament predicting that Jesus will be sent. Jesus will come. So Isaiah 35 was an encouragement to the Israelites to come back to Jesus, to depend on Him, to trust Him when they felt that they are unable and could not last in their journey. Even though they, they were unable, God will enable them to be strengthened, to be healed, to be, to, to, to be encouraged. For those who are unable, God will enable. So today, in the midst of the pandemic, we realize this. For the past one year, we realize that even though we have the best of our plan, the best of our talents, the best of our strength, the best of our effort, the best of our forecast, we do not have what it takes to continue on by ourselves. We need God. We need a group of people that can enable us when we are unable. We need God to break through impossible situations because we too are handicapped just like this helpless man. During the past one year of pandemic, we have been struggling, we have been striving to meet ends need. We try our best in the midst of the pandemic, during the uncertainties, to try not to drown ourselves in the process, at least to stay alive and not die. Today, there is a need for us to recognize that we too, just like the handicapped men, are unable and helpless that we are not as skillful, as good, as wise as we think we are. To come before God, to recognize that we are unable and the season of life that we are going through right now, that we need to release our fear, dependency upon God. Together with all brothers and sisters, together a group of people that we can find grace, mercy and help from God. And in the process, we become vulnerable, transparent, embrace our limit, accept our own shortcoming, our weaknesses, and with that kind of humility and humbleness, we come to God with trust and dependency. Finally, in conclusion, I want to give you this good news. In the season of need right now, we can come to God to receive help from Him. Just as the story of the Gentile woman, we need to come to God, acknowledging that we are unworthy, undeserving, and unmerited. Just as the story of the helpless man, that we are unable. Let us recognize that to the best of our ability, we still need 
God. Let me end with this story. There was a man, a waiter in a restaurant. And during a public holiday peak season, the restaurant needed more worker, more waiter. So one of the waiter had this idea of asking his retired father to come and work in this restaurant. And this father agreed. Now this father, he was a retired doctor. He was a surgeon, a, a cardiologist, a heart surgeon. So after many years of not working, this father agreed to come to help out as a waiter in this restaurant. And as soon as the father put on the waiter's apron, one of the customers choked. The food was choking the customer. So this retired doctor immediately sprang into action, embraced and put his arm around this customer, yanked him, and used the Heimlich maneuver. And through a few tries, the food eventually was yanked out from the throat and the customer survived. Now, in this story, we read that the father, the retired father, did something very unusual. He helped this man. He was at the right time, in the right place. So happened that he's able to help the customer. But today, what about you and I? God was not in the right time, in the right place. So happened that he could help us. God is more than able to help us. That He is not here to do any special medical maneuver to yank sin from our life. Sin is not like the pandemic. Sin is something that is so serious in our life that it affects all human beings. No vaccine can help you. No cure can help you. Only Jesus can. And that's why we need to come to Jesus. But there are times that as this passage tells us that Jesus may teach us something so radical and outright offensive. But in such a time, let's continue to have this attitude that we are unworthy, undeserving, unable to come to Jesus always. Take on that humility and humbleness. Do not be put off by Jesus' teaching that is so radical. But at the end of the day, we know that Jesus will always love us. That His arm will always be open wide and says, Come, come my son, come my daughter, come my child, and I will heal you. God will always be accepting. Let's stand to our feet right now as I ask the musician to sing this song and let's respond to God with this song. He will come and save you.
as all of you remain standing in this hall and also for those who are watching this at home let me ask you these two reflection questions as you hear this message the first is this what is going on in your mind as you hear this message and how has this message helped you to really be able to think about your own self how does it feel to acknowledge to God or others that you are unworthy that you are unable what makes it difficult what makes it easy and the second question is this Name one step that you can cultivate the attitude of humility, humbleness, and persistence in the way we approach God. Always. Let's spend one minute closing our eyes, focusing on God as we ponder about these two questions. Let us pray. Father Lord, we thank you because your word has once again challenged us. Because your word is the truth. Your word is the bread of life. And you, Jesus, has once again spoken to us this morning through your word that even though it may be offensive to us, we may not understand. It is so different, so extraordinary. But yet, there is a spiritual truth, an everlasting truth that we can take home today. And I ask that you open up our heart, soften our heart, tutor our mind to these two stories. That even though, Jesus, there may be times that you're so scandalous, we may not understand why you do what you did, but we will still come to you. Because times and again, you have proven yourself to be faithful and true, loving, forgiving, and you always, always, open your arm to embrace us and therefore Father God even though it may hurt we will come to you because you may discipline us you may be asking us to change, you may prune us you will not be comfortable but yet we still follow you let the word of God and the meditation of your word be a blessing in our lives in Jesus name we ask and we pray. Amen. Please be seated. And before I pass the time for announcement, let me again remind that as we are living in the age of technology, the Sunday sermon, the audio sermon is available. So go to the Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can get the audio sermon there. And also, one very important announcement is this. For those who have registered for AGM later at 1.30, Please come at around 1.15.
check in again. So after the service, please uh, depart from this place, go out, and then take your lunch if you need. Or if you're watching from home, you may come by 1.15 and check in again, do the mice jatra scanning, do the hand sanitizing. We'll give you another uh, uh, sticker to, call, uh, to come up to the sanctuary hall for the AGM. All right? So God bless all of you. Now I would like to hand the time for announcement. Thank you.